you're not the boss of me now and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm the Middle podcast, where we watch and talk about every episode of Malcolm the Middle. Middle? Fuck. Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> one by one in chronological order. Today we're talking about Clicks, which originally aired May 5th, 2002, was directed by Jeff Melman, written by Michael Borko. Hi, I'm Jake, and this podcast is balkanized. Hi, and I'm David, and I can wait all day. All I have is this podcast. Well, before we get into this week's episode, we have our community segment where we have some poll results. Looking back on Clip Show, where uh, we gave Dewey least shitty kid for declaring himself the favorite. Which the audience did not find compelling that they ended up voting for Malcolm. Boo. We got 50% of the vote with the rest being split between Reese and Dewey. Well, I mean, clearly there's some shenanigans going on. I demand a recount. Yeah, they probably didn't like Dewey sucker punching Reese. Why? He's Reese. Yeah, well, (laughs) speaking of Reese, we both... Made him our shittiest kid of the episode for spitting in Dewey's milk and for leaning into his role as the family bully. And uh, the internet also did not find that compelling. They voted Dewey as shittiest kid with 75% of the vote. Okay, yeah, this is just rigged now. This is this is comment leavers attacking me. And I get it. I suck. But leave Dewey out of this. <laughs> They're tired of your propaganda, David. Well, be prepared, is all I'm going to say. But that does it for our community segment, so let's get into this week's episode. Which starts with Hal walking through the house, and he walks past the boys' room, where Dewey is played, and initially he sort of walks past and just glances in. Then he sort of stops and does a double take. And he finds Dewey in the room playing tea time with his stuffed animals. Yeah. And Hal goes in and starts talking to him and Dewey invites him to join. And initially Hal says he he has something else to do, but then he decides to intervene and offers to buy Dewey a stealth bomber model to play with instead of doing his tea time. That's right, Jake, because how dare he, a male, play with dolls? Yep, that's sort of the implication here. There's a couple of these moments in this episode that made me just, uh... Yeah, yeah, there's some stuff that hasn't aged super well in this episode, and this is one of them. Yeah. But as Hal, like, walks away, Dewey takes off of the, the, like, Tiara that he had on and says, sometimes it's too easy. Because clearly manipulated Hal into doing what he wanted. Well, yeah. I mean, look, it makes sense that Dewey grows up to be the most manipulative person on the planet. He's grown up next to Malcolm's genius and Reese's tenacity. Like, I kind of get it. Yeah, yeah, fair. And uh, from there, we will go to the F-plot, which... Starts with Francis nailing a board up to a wall, you know, 
putting a board up over a hole in the wall, but when he, like, goes to hammer the board up, the entire, like, section of wall just collapses <laughs> instantly. Yeah, it was pretty funny. It, it is. And he complains uh, about, you know, the how bad the house is, and he says that he just wants to tear out this entire section of wall and replace the whole thing. But Piyama tells him if he wants to do that, he'll need to go talk to the tribal council and get permission, because half of their house is on the reservation. And she says the entire thing used to be, but her grandpa built it on a glacier, so it's been moving two inches a year. I like that one. That was a, that was a pretty solid joke. Yeah. Then Francis, upon hearing this, like, immediately gets excited. And then, then we see why, as they turn the half of their house that is on the reservation into a casino. And cue cringe moment number two. Yep. Uh. Then Francis is dealing blackjack, and he uses a fan to, like, ruin the hand when someone is about to win. Uh, specifically, a Native American guy there is about to win, and when he complains, Francis tells him it's all in the tribe, and gives him his chips back, and it says that he, they, they look out for their own people here, immediately uh, appropriating the culture. <laughs> and Piyama comes over, and you know, starts to talk to Francis, but he sort of dismisses her, and says that, uh, you know, D don't, don't worry, I'll turn the fan back on once he's gone. You know, assuming that that is the problem that she is having with what he's doing. Yeah, man. Francis, man, come on. Do better. Yeah, not, not a great look for him this episode. And when Piyama comes back, uh, she has been out shopping. She's bought herself a new outfit and a new watch. And Francis is uh, initially complaining that she left him there alone to run their home casino alone. Then when he sees that, you know, she's bought all this stuff, he asks where she got the money, and she says uh, she took it out of their stash, and he is upset about that, saying, you know, that's all that they had, and they go off to, like, a back room where they start to fight even more, Piyama pointing out, you know, how he's using her culture to get monetary gain for himself, and Francis not understanding the issue with it, and then that sort of evolves into a fight that's more about, like, the particulars of their relationship. As when Piyama asks why he's so obsessed with the money, he says that they need it so that he can pay off Lavernia and they can leave this place. And she doesn't understand why he wants to leave, you know, it's, it's where she grew up. And she didn't take his complaining seriously because she just thought he was a complainer. He complains about everything. That's fair. Then Francis is explaining why he doesn't like it there. And he says it's a terrible place to raise kids. And Piyama says she hates kids. And Francis you know, starts talking about how uh, you know they, they got married before they really talked about all this important stuff. And these are you know some really big issues. And what are they going to do about it? And th their solution is they immediately start making out. Then when we come back to them, they're in bed, you know, cl clearly just having had sex. And they're talking about, you know, the things that they do have in common. Like, they both like wrestling movies, and they both like pizza. And Francis says, yeah, I love pizza. Mushroom and sausage? And Piyama says, yeah, on half. 
that's where we leave them. Yeah, not really looking good for Francis. Yeah, definitely not a uh, great episode for Francis. No argument there. But from there, we will go to the B plot, which uh, sort of centers around everyone except for Malcolm in the Wilkerson house. It starts with Dewey sitting on the couch with a marker connecting his chicken pox. And when Lois tells him to stop, he starts complaining about how bored he is, just sitting around, uh, unable to go to school, unable to do anything while he's contagious. And in order to uh, distract him, Lois gives him some dominoes, and when he complains still, she says, Look, you can either stay here and play with these, or we can take you to the hospital. And Dewey says, They don't put you in the hospital for chicken pox, and then Lois, like, Glares at him and he says, okay, and starts playing with the dominoes. Message received. And we, we see Dewey setting up the dominoes sort of in, you know, intricate designs. And Hal comes in and, you know, upon seeing this is, you know, talking to Dewey uh, about how, you know, good it looks and visibly fighting the urge to uh, push them over as he, like, talks to Dewey, but he manages to restrain himself and go off on his own. Then when we come back, uh, Dewey's domino setup has gotten much more extravagant. It now, like, goes through the house and has, uh, you know, stairs and ramps and fancy stuff like that set up. And he even has his name spelled out on the kitchen floor and an American flag. And, of course, you know, how and how once again comes in from work and sees all of this. You know, initially he tells Dewey to stop scratching at his chicken pox. And then, you know, that, that very quickly morphs into Hal talking very clearly about his desire to push the dominoes over. As he, you know, describes this. That desire to, to scratch that itch is... You know, just an uncontrollable compulsion to to, uh, do this thing, even though you know that you can't. And as uh, Dewey leaves him to watch over his dominoes while he goes to the bathroom, Hal is, like, about to push one when Reese comes in. Uh, You you sort of see him in the background in the other room and is about to do the same thing. But Lois catches Reese and, and, like, grabs his hand right before he does, which also prevents Hal from doing the same thing. And Lois gives Reese a speech about how important it is that he not knock these dominoes over because it's the only thing that's keeping Dewey from driving her crazy while he's stuck at home. And she says that if these dominoes get knocked over, no matter how it happens, she is going to blame Reese. It doesn't matter if it's a breeze, or if there's an earthquake, or if a condor drops dead in the sky and falls through their roof. She's holding Reese responsible. That's right. That is an oddly specific example, so it makes me wonder if it's happened before. Yeah, that, that's happened to everyone, right? Yeah, totally. That's In fact, that's perfectly normal. Yeah, you're weird if that hasn't happened to you. Exactly. How do you get it? Then after this little speech, Reese turns and he sees Hal standing with like a maniacal smile on his face while like pressing his fingertips together like a full on supervillain. And Reese immediately like catches on to what this means and tells Hal he's not going to let him do this. And Hal is, you know, initially sort of uh, denying it, saying, I don't know what you're talking about. And Reese says, 
Yes, you do. I saw the look on your face. It's the look that I get, and now I know where I got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. I love the... Man, it's like... It kind of reminds me of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Yes. Yeah. I love it. And Reese tells Hal that uh, until the situation is resolved, he is going to keep his eyes on him. He is not going to touch these dominoes. And he escorts Hal to the kitchen to, uh, you know, get his glass of water to sort of prove his point. Then that night, Hal has a dream where there is a giant domino and... Lois is on a white horse, sort of dressed as a princess, telling him that if he wants to push the domino over, he can. She'll blame Reese. It's fine. Then when he you know, finally reaches out and uh, touches the domino, it turns into a classroom scene, and he is poking the back of a student in front of him, and it sort of zooms out to show you know, he's in his underwear, in this class, where the only thing written on the chalkboard is, uh, try not to wet your bed. And the teacher tells him that uh, it's time for their geometry quiz, and Hal complains that he didn't study. And he wakes up in a cold sweat, and he goes out to the kitchen, planning very clearly to knock the dominoes over. <laughs> but Reese is waiting out there for him with a baseball bat. And she just sort of threateningly, like, bounces in his hand and sends Hal back to his room. Right, yeah, doesn't he say something along the lines of, like, turn it around, old man, or something like that? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, he, he makes a vague threat. Yeah. Then the next morning, Lois informs Dewey that uh, the doctor called and he can go back to school tomorrow. And when Hal asks what that means for the dominoes, Lois says that they're getting picked up tonight. And Hal looks like very frantic as, as it's, you know, put a clock on his ability to knock these dominoes over and watch them go. And that's where your intro line comes in as Reese turns to Hal and sets the terms. And he says, look, I, I'm not going anywhere until I know for sure that you're at work. All I have is school. Right. And then... <laughs> When we come back to this fall, it just starts with Reese, like, sprinting down the street towards home. And he manages to get there just before Hal, who is also, like, visibly rushing as he comes in through the back door, only to run into Reese. Uh, but it's all for naught anyways, as Dewey is packing up the last of the dominoes, putting them back in their boxes. And Hal is upset, saying, you, you knocked them over without me? And Dewey says, why would I knock them over? I I spent days setting them up. <laughs> That's right. And he respects his creations. Clearly. And Hal, like, has a, like, little silent breakdown upon hearing this. Then the last little bit that we get of this plotline, and also the conclusion of the episode, is Hal setting all of the dominoes back up. How Dewey had them. And... You know, he, he has it all set up, and he's about to knock the first domino over to, to start the chain reaction. But then he decides, uh, you know, he, he wants to film it, and he uh, says, Oh, camera! And he initially starts to, like, step over the dominoes to go get the camera, but, but he's, you know, clearly concerned he's going to preemptively knock some of them over. So instead, he goes out the back door, 
And when he does it, like as soon as he does, it knocks the first domino over, which of course sends them all down the line through all these intricate designs. And Hal comes in at the last second as like the last domino falls and frees the like little balloon with a smiley face drawn on it that he had like attached at the end as like the grand finale. Yup. It looked pretty good. I mean, it was, it was, it was well thought out and well designed, clearly. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, he, uh, he nailed the setup. Just, uh, botched the execution. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and that wraps up that plotline, leaving only the Malcolm-centered A plot. And yep. it starts in the Krellboin class, uh, where the other Krellboins are gathered around, talking about uh, camping out in line for the new Norton antivirus that's coming out. Yeah, good lord. And when Malcolm sort of dunks on them for this, they say, you know, say, it's not our fault that we have lives outside of this classroom. <laughs> God. And Herkimee comes by and sort of, you know, examines the experiments they're doing and reminds them all to stick with the assigned experiment. Clearly is had issues with them before and is warning them away from the siren song of raw experimentation. And uh, they, you know, reassure him that they're going to stick to the, the assigned experiment, but then as soon as his back is turned, Kevin pulls out a vial of a liquid from his uh, shirt pocket and pours it in, and they all, like, lean over to watch the chemical reaction happen. Then it hard cuts to Herkimee outside, covered in some kind of gunk, uh, lecturing them uh, about how they not only defied the rules of the classroom, but the very rules of nature. And uh, they are, like, all covered in whatever this substance is, and they've all been evacuated from the classroom, and you can see, like, in the background, people cleaning up uh, for, for whatever chemical reaction that they caused. And he tells them that until their classroom is decontaminated, they are going to be put back into the general population. I love that he calls it general pop, too. Like, <laughs> it's so great. And he also says that it, and he's been given a temporary position as a gym instructor. He'll have a whistle and get to wear shorts. <laughs> And the Krellboins are, of course, terrified to be put back into uh, the you know, general classes. Dabney is worried that they will destroy them without even realizing that they're doing it because of their uh, own repressed anger issues. <laughs> then we uh, see Malcolm and Lloyd as they're you know, going into the normal classroom for the first time with Malcolm... You know, being very comfortable, uh, he, you know, knows some of the kids already from before he was placed in the Krellboin class. But Lloyd is obviously not. Uh, he initially wants to share Malcolm's uh, seat with him, saying that there, there's no other desks. But Malcolm points out there, there is another desk across the classroom for him to sit at. And Lloyd sort of reluctantly goes off while Malcolm sits down with his two old friends from the uh, general class. And Malcolm is happy to have a normal conversation for the first time in a long time, uh, which consists of, of them, like, nodding at each other and saying, what's up? And Lloyd, meanwhile, uh, has found his empty seat is in the middle of all the goth kids, 
that he looks miserable and terrified sitting amongst them, and he uh, quotes Dante's Inferno, Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. And uh, the goth kid next to him upon hearing this asks if that's a lyric from uh, the new Ministry album. <laughs> and he you know, explains, no, it's uh, the inscription above the gates of hell in Dante's Inferno. That's dark, man. <laughs> yes. Then we cut to Dabney, who is in a woodshop class, failing to nail a uh, single nail, while a bunch of jocks are sort of off to the side, uh, talking about who kicked whose ass, and one of them gets a splinter, and he gets, you know, very angry at this and starts screaming at the splinter and goes to, uh, like, pull it out with his fingers, but Dabney intervenes, saying, no, no, don't do that, you'll get an infection. And he pulls out his emergency kit. Uh, it's, it's not a full first aid kit, it's just the pouch that he carries with him. And he helps the jock get the splitter out without hurting, and he, you know, disinfects it. And the jock thanks him, and it's sort of the, the introduction to Dabney and his jock click. Then, going back to Malcolm, he's sitting at the lunch table uh, with, with his... Friends from the normal class who are talking about uh, whether certain girls in their class are hot. If they're fuego. Yes. Or if they're muy fuego. God. <laughs> so dumb. Yes. And Malcolm sees Stevie with a bunch of skateboarders and he like uh, walks over to Stevie. And as he does, he looks around and sees all of the various Krellboys with their different cliques. Lloyd and Dabney with, you know, their pre-established cliques of the Goths and uh, Jocks. And he sees Kevin with uh, what they will label as the Posers, who, who are, like, all uh, the, the sort of early 2000s, like, stereotypical white guys who are super into hip-hop. Yeah, unfortunately, we all know these kids. Like, let's be honest. Oh, yeah, for sure. And he goes over to Stevie, and they talk about how everyone sort of found their place... And Stevie calls them all parasites. <laughs> uh, then the skaters come over and they're upset because the dumpster that's being used in the decontamination process for the Krellboyne class takes up the area where they usually skate. And Stevie uh, immediately says, damn Krellboynes, <laughs> and then says he has a plan for them to find a new spot to skate. Uh, cue the beginnings of the turf war. <laughs> that's right. Is then uh, we go to the jocks, who are, like, looking at the bulletin board, and they're upset because the skaters are taking over the basketball court with their skater safety program. Seems suspicious to me. Yes. But Dabney has a plan. Rather than getting into a fight with the skaters, he thinks that they can take over the uh, East Court from the Goths, who use it to smoke. And we, we see that plan enacted as we then go to the Lloyd and the Goths, and they received a letter complaining that it's supposedly from an old lady who lives next to the school who was scared by the Goths. But Lloyd recognizes the handwriting as Dabney's, and he enacts his own plan to take the uh, corner from the posers. Then we, we see sort of the, like, final chain uh, of events here as this puts the posers in conflict with the, like, preppy, like, student council kids. 
as they are, uh, you know, demanding that they leave the area that they're using for their student council meetings. And Kevin lectures the black kid who's in their group about how there's been 200 years of oppression and he's done with it. Justice in O2. Uh. Yeah, this this is such a fun storyline until it isn't. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, th- th- this one didn't bother me too much. Like, clearly the, the joke here is, is that Kevin is a clueless asshole. <laughs> But yeah, there, there, there is a, uh, a a much more uh, thoughtless joke later. Yeah, I wasn't talking about this one. I was talking about that one. And it's like, ugh. Gotcha. Yeah, no. It was cringe moment number three. I don't cringe very easy. Then uh, th- this, like, prompts the initial confrontation between all of the cliques as they sort of pair off and start fighting with each other about, you know, these various disputes over these various places and Herkabee tries to break it up when he tries to uh, whistle he finds that it doesn't work and he yells out who stole the whistle pee that's a detentionable offense (laughs) (laughs) poor Herkabee then we once again start with with Malcolm and his regular class friends as they, they are once again uh, having, like, the exact same conversation, and, and Malcolm is, at, at this point, like, getting visibly bored with it. Cuts to, uh, a, a, like, view of, like, a semicircle formed by, like, each of the cliques, like, clustered up together, staring each other down. Then one of the jocks drops his basketball, and it rolls over to the goths, and they, like, pick it up and, like, circle around it, and pop it, and, you know, drop it to the ground. But before it can, you know, explode into a full-blown conflict again, the bell rings and they all, like, slowly back away from each other. Then, Malcolm's two friends come to his house, and as soon as they do, Malcolm, like, blows up at them, and he calls them idiots. You know, not in an insulting way, just in a factual way. And he complains that, you know, that they only talk about one thing, and there's all these languages if they want to call girls Hot in different languages, they could at least mix it up. Then they they say, uh, you know, looking very uh, downtrodden, they just came to tell Malcolm that there's a fight at the school. And he when he asks between who, they say everyone. That's right. They're all fighting right now. Yes, except they're not. When Malcolm gets there, they are like once again in their like pre-established huddles uh, as they're all strategizing. Uh, Lloyd has formed a alliance with the Drama Club because they have swords. Uh, or no, Dabney has. Dabney, and uh, yeah. Lloyd has formed an alliance with the skaters, and he's, you know, set a trap when he drops his cape. Uh, and they, you know, move in to attack him. The skaters will move in, and they'll they'll never expect us to be working together. Exactly. And Malcolm is, like, on the roof of the school watching all of this. And uh, as they're, like, all preparing to attack, you know, drawing their various weapons, uh, all the goths have stakes, which is fantastic. Uh, the, the skaters have, like, weaponized their skateboards. Yeah, they've, and... like, taped, like, like kitchen knives to the end of the skateboards. Yes. And Stevie has, like, set up silverware on, on his the spokes of his wheelchair, like a, a war chariot. But, uh, but before they, like, move in, the... Preppy kids initiate their secret plan, their special shield, which yeah. is they, they bring in the special education students. 
Uh, to, like, form a human shield around them, which, you know, g gives all the uh, other cliques, like, pause as, as they're scared of these other kids. They say that one of them bites, and uh, Malcolm, seeing this, like, yells out at everyone, you know, say, saying that this has gone too far, and he gives a speech about how they all used to hate school together, they hated the teachers and the building, but they didn't hate each other, and, you know, they've, they've taken that hate and they've made it something impure. And, you know, he points out that Dabney, up until a few days ago, was a Krellborn, and now he's a jock, and doesn't that show that these differences don't really mean anything? And upon finding out that Dabney was a Krellborn, the, the jocks, like, you know, reject him, and sort of push him into the, the middle in between all of the cliques. And when the goths make fun of them for having a Krellborn, they point out that they have one too. And all of the cliques sort of figure out that they've been infiltrated by a Krellborn and push them into the middle. And are, you know, talking about how the, the Krellborns are the ones who instigated the fight in the first place. It was like all their plan anyways. And they surround the Krellboids, like, very clearly, uh, gaining up on them. But before they can, Dabney points to Malcolm and just yells, He's our leader! Then it cuts to uh, the Krellboids having been, you know, beat up while in a state of disarray, with, like, all of the male students having had their pants stolen as they are, like, uh, marched off uh, by Herkabee who is, like, scolding them for feeling sorry for themselves, and he tells them that even Einstein had to carry an extra pair of pants with him until he was 22, and then he went on to help build the first atomic bomb. Ah, uh, aspirations. That's right. And that is how the A-plot ends. That's right, with atomic bombs. Exactly. Look, uh, Her Herkaby is, you know, he's, he's, he's inspiring them. Yeah? Is that, is that what we're calling it? Okay. Yeah. Her Herkaby, as always, is flawless in all of this. But with that, let's go to our awards. Awards. Sorry, I, I, I uh, wasn't responding to that because I assumed you were just in medical distress because that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard you say. Why would that be dumb? Herkaby's great. Herkaby. Everyone loves Herkaby. No, okay. Yeah, everyone loves the villain, Mr. Edgelord. Villain? Herkaby's not a villain. He's a good guy. No, he's the villain. Nah, he, he's a good guy. It's, great, it's a great teacher. It's a great man. Kirkaby did nothing wrong. Okay. Never has, never will. Gonna stay right now. I stand behind every choice Kirkaby ever makes. Everyone. Every. Every. Everyone. Yep. Oh, Jake. Okay, well, uh, getting into our awards, what did you give your Roller Skating Keen Award? Your award for the best visual moment. There were a couple. There, there were, there were like as much as this episode kind of made me cringe, uh, real hard. The the good parts of it were were fantastic. Yes. Hal's face though, when Reese turns around, it is such a Grinch face. Like it is straight out of freaking uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and Hal does it so well. It's so mischievous and evil, and and. At the same time, a little bit of lighthearted. I, I love it, and I just, I want to see it over and over again. Yeah, it, it was fantastic, but uh, 
It is not one of them that I had on my list, which is unfortunate, because I was hoping you would you would take one of those and help narrow it down for me. Well, I got a runner-up that I think is probably on your list. What, what's your runner-up? Knife wheels. <laughs> <laughs> Freaking, I love Stevie has knives attached to the outside of his wheelchair wheels. Yeah, I, I more broadly had uh, the clicks preparing for war, but yes. Fair. It, it is definitely Stevie's... <laughs> War chariot wheelchair that they like put it over the top as as one of them that I was considering. It's just so great. It is. But I I will go with Francis breaking the wall. Okay. Immediate, fantastic physical comedy, like very like old school like Buster Keaton esque physical comedy. Right. I'm just like the the second the hammer connects, just that it, like an entire square of the wall just falling out. It, it's just <laughs> so fucking funny. It is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, then, then I also had uh, just the domino knockdown display as a uh, runner up as well. That's pretty good. Uh, a lot of really good visual moments in this episode. I would agree. Uh, but what did you have for your hot dog with mustard on it award? Your award for the best line. Also, Stevie. Uh, when he's talking about the Krellboins, he looks around the school and he says, Parasites, looking for a new host body. Yes. <laughs> I love this scene. It's just such a perfect line, and I love Stevie's delivery for it. It was great. Yes, I appreciate Stevie recognizing what he is here. Yeah, absolutely. He's way more self-aware than Malcolm. Absolutely. Uh, that that was also my first choice, but my backup comes from Dewey, and it's when he's explaining to Hal where all these dominoes came from. And he's <laughs> explaining that they they got them from a neighbor uh, who who was paralyzed, and he says they even buried him with one. So it's not really a complete set. <laughs> <laughs> and who did you have as your favorite character for this episode? I went with Hal, because while I love Stevie, just the physical comedy again from Brian Cranston always wins me over. And the scene in the kitchen and that face that he makes and the uh, the end scene with the dominoes where he comes in and uh, everything had, had fallen over already. And the the restrained rage, it just, ah, it was so good, and it made me love it. Okay. Hal's very good in this episode, but he did not get my favorite character. I chose Lloyd as my favorite character <laughs> in this episode. Ah, <laughs> uh, that doesn't surprise me. If, if, if this particular rewatch has, you know, taught me anything, it's that uh, the, the most relatable character in this show, for me, isn't actually Malcolm. It's 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 Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's funny and i i love him uh you know becoming adopted by the, the goth kids because he's you know quoting dante and i i love that uh you know he he doesn't smoke with the goths but he's upset that they took away his spot to secondhand smoke dude yeah no his he's so you i know <laughs> the only difference is the goths never won you over to their clothing that's true. Probably because it was too much work for you. Uh, honestly, yeah, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, but but I, I I was the you know the, the kid in middle school sitting on his own reading Dan Rice books. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Louie. I mean Jake. Uh. 
<laughs> okay, uh, moving on to our next award. Which of these plot lines did you choose as the A plot of your heart? Uh, I gave it to Hal and Dewey. I love the Domino plotline. As did I. It, it has, like, some of the, the best visual stuff in it. Uh, I love the conflict between Reese and Hal. It's an interesting dynamic we don't see explored a lot. Agreed. Yeah, that was, uh, was really good, and it's the only one of the plot lines that uh, doesn't have, as you put it, a cringe moment. Yeah, it, 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 it it's not the darkest timeline, Jake. I don't know. Hal never got to watch those dominoes fall. Yeah, but still. Uh, and who did you give your Chloris Leachman Award, your award for the best acting? I gave it to Brian Cranston. I I absolutely love his physical stuff in this one. Again, I I love it. That that, uh, that makes perfect sense, and I I very strongly considered him. But uh, as you often end up saying, I I can't give it to Brian Cranston every time, and this felt like one of those situations. Fair enough. <laughs> so I chose to give it to Frankie Muniz, uh, okay. who I think did a good job of like pretty subtly, uh, like up until the like last scenes, demonstrating that Malcolm is like getting increasingly bored. With his uh, two idiot friends. Okay. Uh, and then I also do like his performance in that end speech. Frankie Muniz is very good at giving those, like, big dramatic speeches. Uh, yeah, for a child actor, his ability to memorize and, and regurgitate lines and stuff is super good. So, yeah, no, that's awesome. And uh, what did you give your OK Boomer Award? There's a lot of options. Jake, it's 2002. What do you think I gave my OK Boomer Award to? Again, there's a lot of options. <laughs> yeah, but there's really not not for me. 2002 me, I the, was the a goth. Yeah, I was a goth scene kid. Come on. Like <laughs> That's fair. I, I was seen before scene was a thing. And like I was goth, but I just didn't commit fully. I was goth, but I didn't hate everything. Just most things. <laughs> Some of my friends called me the happy goth. That that is a solid choice. Uh, I gave mine to uh, sort sort of a weird thing because I, I wanted to avoid giving it to all of the various problematic things in the episode, but uh, instead I gave it to the aspect ratio because okay, as we've discussed before, that the show was originally meant for you know the old school square TVs because those were what people were watching this on when it was coming out, and you know in versions like the Hulu version and stuff where it's stretched out to a you know, full screen. You can see stuff along the edges oftentimes that was meant to be off screen. And there's two big ones in this episode. One of them being that as Lloyd is like uh, talking to Malcolm, you know, saying that you know, there's no empty seats, you can very clearly see that all of the desks like to Malcolm's uh, left are empty. Right. Yeah. Like there's just no one at them. And then the other one is... During the uh, Domino's Falling sequence, when it gets to, like, the American flag, you can see the hand of, like, whoever pushed that, like, set of Domino's, like, just sitting on the table still. You can see, like, their their fingers. <laughs> uh, so I chose the aspect ratio for my OK Boomer award. Makes sense. Then that just leaves our shittiest and least shitty kid awards. And who did you give Shittiest Kid? I gave Shittiest Kid to Francis. Agreed. Obvious reasons. Yeah, for being a piece of shit. Yep, yep. This is a, like, pretty clear 
cultural appropriation and like the 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 worst possible way and some real shittio shit shittio shitty stereotypes yep and uh like even like a lot of times like francis has like these shitty things and then sort of you know gets put in his place and learns less but it doesn't seem to really happen in this episode either so yeah francis definitely shittiest kid yep and who did you have as least shitty kid uh surprisingly reese Okay. I I think that his though his motives were not necessarily pure, his keeping Hal in check and defending Dewey's work is a good act and I don't think that uh in this particular case that his atten- intentions matter as much because the outcome was positive and uh I think that it, it puts him just a hair above Malcolm. Because with the exception of the rousing speech at the end, Malcolm really doesn't do anything good either. I, I very slightly disagree. I did choose Malcolm uh, over Reese, who was my second choice. Uh, the, the reason being, I, the reason for me choosing Malcolm is uh, largely that end speech. But I also chose Malcolm because he realized that you know his friends from from before he joined the Krell Boyd class are sort of. A vapid asshole idiots. <laughs> like he's he's rude about the way that you know he well like blows up at them at the end. That that that's not a great way to deal with it. But he is right that uh you know he shouldn't be hanging out with these guys. They kind of suck. Yeah, I guess. But like, so does Malcolm. So it fits. Right. But but I I think by not surrounding himself like with those people that that you know provides better opportunity for growth. And, you know, it's probably asking too much that he has, you know, the, the sort of self-realization. But at the very least, he at least, you know, realizes to, you know, cut the, the, the people who uh, act like him out of his life. <laughs> I guess, yeah. That's that's fair. Uh, which, again, it was very close with Reese, but uh, between those two things, I decided to give it to Malcolm. Okay. I think you're wrong, but that's okay. Fair enough. Well, that wraps up our awards, but we have a couple segments left, beginning with the Cranston Connection, which, David, you volunteered for this time, saying that you had, like, an immediate idea, so so you wanted to take it this week, even though it was supposed to be my turn. Uh, well, yeah, see, because this is where we see the creation of the altar that is Hammond Druthers. This mad obsession <laughs> with these dominoes uh, and the elaborate engineering that had to go into this in order to get this set up to, to work and then Hal not seeing it drove him to the point of needing that engineering and, and architectural release um, that we know he doesn't get. And we already know from uh, Hal Quits one of my favorite episodes still to this date, that Hal gets obsessed with artistic and creative processes that he gets stuck in his head. And so I think that the rage that we saw building over this small engineering feat not working has led him to a future career in architecture and engineering to ensure that he can create his magnum opus, his masterpiece, and get that sort of out of his head. 
And so that is where the altar of Hammond Druthers comes from after the brutal divorce with Lois and all of that. Okay, uh, yeah, that's a good one. I like it. I'm glad you volunteered to take it for that, David. You are welcome. Well, that just leaves David's guessing game. You, you once again did pretty well on this one. Your prediction being that it would be centered around like the stereotypical middle school, high school, like, cliques, and that the Krellboins would be somehow involved. Uh, and you also correctly guessed a couple of the cliques. You, you predicted that, that there would be the Jocks and the Goths, though you didn't predict any of the other ones that showed up, and you incorrectly took a guess that there would be a Mean Girls clique, uh, which there is not, unfortunately. I feel like there is, we just didn't see them. I mean, that's, that's, that's fair, but they're not one of the, like, established groups that we see. Fair. They, they don't need to squabble over territory, David. They're above that. That's right. They already own the school. <laughs> exactly. They only have issues when they get turned against each other. Because someone should totally stab Caesar. Uh, but you, you did correctly predict that uh, this would all boil into what you described as a shit fest at the school. <laughs> yeah. So I did give you credit for that. That's good. That's good. So I ended up giving you an 87%. Okay. What do you think happens next week, uh, which we will have special guest Eric from File Under Entertainment on for, in the episode Monkey? Oh, that's easy. Lots of shots at me. Lots and lots of shots at me. Because it's you and Eric together. <laughs> uh, but also, uh, I think that they're gonna get a monkey i don't know how maybe they steal it from a zoo nah that seems too cliche also i'm pretty sure season four episode one is called zoo i don't think yes. they do yeah i don't think they would do two zoo episodes back to back unless it's like a continuation or like a continued story or something i don't know but uh they, they did do that between season one and two they did but they're gonna get a monkey i don't know how yet it's hard to say. Maybe it's like a na maybe it's like a neighbor's pet or something and they find out and then they like then the monkey like they they think it's going to be cool and so they start hanging out with the monkey and then I'll bet you they use like a capuchin or like one of the oh what's the other one? So you got the capuchins and then you got the weird like ringed uh, monkeys, but they I bet you they use one of those, probably a capuchin cuz they're easier to train. And work with yeah. in Hollywood, so... I don't know what kind of monkey you mean by weird ringed monkey. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of it, Jake. Yeah. They, they have, uh, uh, they have, like, rings in their fur. I'll have to pull a picture of it and show you what I mean. Because I, I don't know the, I don't know the name of it. Yeah, I, I just want to know the name so that I can, you know, evaluate whether you're right or wrong. Fair. I don't I don't think it's going to be that. I think it's going to be a capuchin, though, so... Okay. Yeah, because they're just... They're, it makes more sense, because they're easier to train, and this is 2002, so easier to work with on set. But yeah, I think it's going to, you know... They're going to think it's cool, and then it's going to start, like, doing shit, like throwing dishes at him and throwing his feces. Well, they probably won't do throwing feces, but, you know, like... It's going to do monkey shit, and then they're going to be like, shit, having a monkey sucks. And then they're going to have to figure out how to deal with the monkey. Okay. That's a solid guess, David. I like it. 
Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us by email, where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com, or on Twitter, where we are unfair underscore podcast, which is also where we put up our weekly shittiest and least shitty kid polls. And don't forget, you can join us live at twitch.tv slash lpdeathray, where we interact with our chat and play video games and in general have a good time. And join us live November 6th for a 24-hour live stream event where we'll be raising money for the Children's Miracle Network of Hospitals for the charity known as Extra Life. We always have a ton of fun. We do tons of crazy stuff. You do not want to miss out. Thanks for listening, and as always, remember, life is unfair. <laughs> Is that your intro, David?